Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning and welcome to a brand new week. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Monday the 15th of May. Just a reminder that we're on iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. If you go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, you'll find all the links to your favourite podcast apps there. The programme also has a Facebook page, Peter Lewis Money Talk, and I'm on Twitter at moneytalkr3. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said Friday that the federal government will have to renege on some payments if Congress doesn't raise the debt limit and soon, though any plan on how the department would proceed with an unprecedented default has yet to be presented to President Joe Biden. Ms. Yellen said if Congress fails to do that, it really impairs our credit rating and we will have to default on some obligations, whether it's treasuries or payments to Social Security recipients. President Biden's nominee to serve as the next vice chair of the Federal Reserve, Philip Jefferson, described progress on core inflation as discouraging. He noted the uneven progress with much of the deceleration occurring in food and energy prices and not enough progress in other categories. But he said the full effects of our rapid tightening are still ahead of us because of the delayed impact of Fed rate increases in slowing down the economy. Finance leaders of the G7 rich nations warned of heightening global economic uncertainty on Saturday. G7 central bank chiefs pledged to counter elevated inflation and ensure expectations on future price moves remained well anchored. They also offered more money for Ukraine, agreed to set up a new supply chain initiative and vowed to fill regulatory gaps in the banking sector. The Hong Kong government announced on Friday that the SAR's economy grew 2.7% year-on-year in the first quarter of 2023, recovering from a downwardly revised 4.1% contraction in the previous quarter and confirming preliminary estimates. That ends four consecutive quarters of contraction and springs the local economy out of recession, supported by a strong recovery in inbound tourism and domestic demand. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investment. And with a view from mainland China, is Brock Silvers, CIO at Kyan Capital. In the markets, the S&P 500 posted a second straight weekly loss as regional bank concerns lingered and survey data showed rising consumer inflation expectations. The S&P 500 slipped 0.2%, closing at 4,124. It was down 0.3% for the week. The Dow dropped 9 points. That's under 0.1% to close at 33,301, taking its losses for the week to 1.1%. The Nasdaq Composite fell 0.4%, ending the day at 12,285. And the index gained 0.4% over the week. Regional banks continued to decline after Los Angeles-based PacWest revealed Thursday it lost almost 10% of its deposits in the first week of May. Shares of PacWest fell 3% Friday, taking its losses since the beginning of March to almost 84%. PNC fell 1% and Zion's Bank Corporation closed 1.1% lower. Hong Kong stocks dropped for the fourth straight day. The Hang Seng Index fell 117 points, or 0.6%, to 19,627. For the week, the city's benchmark was 2.1% lower. The Tech Index was half a percent lower over the week. 
In mainland China, the Shanghai Composites fell 1.1% and closed at 3,272, dragged lower by education services stocks. And for the week, it was down 1.9%. Futures markets are forecasting a decline of 0.9% for the Hang Seng at the open. That's around 185 points. And elsewhere in the markets, Treasury yields were higher. Fed fund futures markets are pricing in 16% odds of another 25 basis point rate hike in June, compared with an under 10% chance earlier last week. The 10-year Treasury yield climbed 8 basis points to 3.46%, and the US dollar index surged to the highest level of the month, and oil prices fell for the fourth consecutive week. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Let's welcome our guests. We have with us Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, our regular Monday commentator. Morning, Alex. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is John Schofield, who is Managing Director of Tempest Investment. Very good morning to you, John. Yes, hello. Good morning, Peter. Let's start by looking ahead to some key economic data that's coming out of the mainland due for release tomorrow. Um, Expected to suggest the mainland's recovery is on track because of base effects largely. Official figures on Tuesday are expected to show rapid year-on-year growth in industrial output and retail sales for April, with both of those key data sets likely accelerating from March. Fixed asset investment in April is also projected to have gathered pace. However, the data does compare to a period a year ago when the manufacturing and finance hub Shanghai was locked down because of uh, spreading COVID cases and restrictions on movements slowed or halted activity elsewhere in the uh, in the country. So, Alex, um, it's going to be rather difficult to compare, isn't it? But what, what are you expecting from the data to tell us about the mainland economy? I think, uh, uh, of course, it's difficult to compare because the base is low. Uh, but I think uh, people reckon the, the manufacturing sector in China will still be not as good as expected. And the local sales or um, the retail consumption probably would be okay. Uh, so this is still the story in China right now. It's an uneven recovery, isn't it, really, driven by the service sector? And we seem to be seeing that in U.S. companies, you know, those in, in the services sector are reporting. They seem to be reporting that demand is returning. Is, is that correct? Is that where um, we're seeing the growth? Yeah, right. Right now, it's, it's, uh, it's this kind of recovery. We are seeing um, demand for services, um, and, but uh, the, <coughs> the manufacturing sector actually are, are still quite slow. Mm. John, what are you what are you expecting to see from from the data? Um, yes, I mean manufacturing um, output uh, is quite strong, but at um, at, at uh, you know ever decreasing prices, um, you know we saw last week the PPI uh, negative. So um, you know there's still deflationary deflation is coming out of China in in the manufacturing sector. I think um, we also see that in the um, uh, falling prices in in um, the the inputs, uh, whether it's uh, oil prices and, and all the base metals, uh, are, um, are declining quite in quite sharp downtrends currently. So mm-hmm. um, there's deflation coming out of China. So um, these these figures um, these figures this this week will probably, um, as you say, be marginally on the on the disappointing side. 
the, the recovery probably is it fair to say it hasn't been as swift or, or dramatic mm. um, as, as people have been as been as people have been expecting. Yes, there was an assumption there was going to be a huge bounce back to normal um, uh, when China reopened. Um, we did see a bounce, but it, uh, it certainly seems to be run, running out of momentum now. Where do we stand on the travel sector? Do you think we, we heard a lot of stories about um, a, a big boost to, to travel over the holiday week that we had recently? Um, is it back to pre-pandemic levels or do you think we've still got a long way to go? Uh, it is, I think, uh, already approaching the pandemic, the, uh, pandemic level. I think uh, travel actually uh, is um, very uh, welcome. But I think uh, the way Chinese traveling actually has changed a lot, um, they actually, uh, uh, their behavior is based on um, uh, very popular app uh, suggestions. So um, they are going to a few places and using low-cost, so I think uh, even we are seeing strong turnout of tourists, but the overall spending actually has changed, and and that, that I think uh, is a is a is a point to note because um many many Thai tourists actually are spend less uh, than before. Because they 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 probably would would not uh, sleep in luxury hotel or, or even hotels. They just uh, sleep in restaurant, and then and then they 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 spend. Uh, less on food, they just uh, go for some very cheap but uh, hygienable um, uh, food. So I think uh, this is a change of behavior in Chinese Chinese, Chinese tourists. And, and what's driving that change? Is is it that because they're worried about their jobs, or they're just becoming more price conscious post pandemic, where they realize they've also got to spend money on other things like healthcare, for example? No, I think uh, they want to look good on 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 social media. Oh really? That's a major change. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because you look smart when you when you when you spend so little, and then you 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 do have some good photos on it on, on, on the social media. <laughs> it seems to be reflected by what we're hearing in Hong Kong that people are, that hoteliers are saying that people are coming from the mainland, but they're just not staying very long, and they don't seem to be spending much money. Yeah. Right. Uh, actually, I I I. I I, I think uh, later on probably we'll see them sleeping in McDonald's. Mm. <laughs> John, uh, what does this mean then for, for the recovery, the consumer um, recovery sort of going forward? But presumably um, it, it's not going to be as strong as, as people were hoping. Uh, yes, well, there's obviously capacity constraints still. Um, Airf has a has a very, very, uh, very elevated, um, as we've seen from uh, Cathay's... Uh, comments last week they don't expect to be able to get back to capacity until uh, late next next year and uh, airfares are going to stay high so i think people are being selective um, they've got to allocate more of their holiday budget to to the travel aspect rather than the spending on the ground um, but we've all noticed how um, destinations like japan have uh, become extremely popular uh, for for hong kong people so mm -hmm. that's um, that's going on, but the in, you know the incoming uh, in, inbound tour, tourism is is still very muted. I think people, um, you know, maybe passing through on their way to uh, elsewhere, um, which is always a traditional practice anyway. But but uh, staying less, you know, they might have stayed three or four days and caught up with friends and things, but now they're um, probably just 
maybe staying one night or something like that. Mm. So th- this means then that over the summer, those firms that are sort of basing their their, their outlooks and their forecasts on sort of a, a big sort of surge, if you like, in, in revenge spending over the summer, they're likely to be disappointed. Well, it's going to be uh, outbound, I think, or the, the, the majority of it will be outbound rather than incoming. We may see more incoming, you know, in... in uh, Seasonally, I think uh, Hong Kong is a, a much more popular destination as we get into the autumn mm. uh, and uh, past the typhoon season. Mm. So we may see people coming back and, and travelling. Alex, what about the um, the restaurant sector? Companies like Starbucks, they're reporting um, a, a pickup in the first quarter, Yum China as well. Um, we, we seem to be seeing this reflected, what's happening in China reflected more and more in um, the quarterly reports that we're getting out of US companies, includes Disney as well, doesn't it? What's, what's the outlook for those companies, do you think? I think uh, <coughs> not that good, I think, because uh, Chinese uh, 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 F&B sector is a super competitive. Mm. So they are facing very tough uh, domestic uh, competitions now. So I think uh, looking ahead, I, 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 uh, it is a very tough uh, market to, to, to be in. Mm. And what about things like the uh, the resorts, the casinos in, in Macau? Do you think uh, what, what's the outlook for those types of companies as the economy sort of rebounds? Uh, they are still okay, but uh, I I think uh, it is very difficult to go back to the epic level because uh, for Macau, there there would be no VIP business, and and we are not we we, we should not expect uh, uh, the. In the, 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 the this to be uh, covered by by tourists, I think, because uh, we are not talking about a, a single batch of uh, of a million, or so uh, we are talking about probably five hundred, one thousand. Then this is very difficult to make up the VIP market. Mm. John, I suppose the other thing that's going to be important in, in this data is um, what it tells us about the global economy, the outlook for things like exports. Uh, for for example, what are you expecting there? Um, yes, I mean the the um, the import and export figures uh, last month were, were very poor, as uh, as, uh, as we were discussing. So, um, yeah, I don't see uh, a, a lot of growth in in exports. I mean, we had a big. Yeah. Uh, a big sharp uh, decline in imports, didn't we? Which sort of rather suggests that domestic demand in the mainland isn't particularly strong. Um, yes, um, I mean sectors like the luxury goods uh, coming from Europe uh, have been have been very strong recently. We see record prices for some of those French uh, French uh, LVMH and, yeah. and, and so on. And Richemont as well. But, um, you know, you have to wonder whether whether that's uh, where at the peak of that particular phenomenon. Mm, it is amazing, isn't it? I mean, mm. Richemont, I think they, uh, which owns uh, Cartier, Van Cleef and Arbels, they, yeah. they reported record first quarter profits, partly yeah. based on this recovery in China. Yes, indeed. And that may, may have been uh, revenge spending. <laughs> Mm. 
Uh, Alex, tell me a bit about Hong Kong's um, economy. We had uh, the, the data on Friday confirm the preliminary effort, uh, estimates of 2.7% year-on-year growth. The previous quarter was revised down to a 4.1% contraction. So we've seen um, a big turnaround here in Hong Kong. But once again, um, a large part of that must be the base effect, mustn't it? Because we're comparing to, to one year ago when things were pretty grim in Hong Kong. Yeah, um, I think uh, we we probably need to see whether Hong Kong could benefit more from uh, Chinese tourist uh, revival. Um, that I think I should be should should be still optimistic. But as I said, uh, the overall spending may be less, or per, perhaps spending probably will be less. But I think uh, uh, that is picking up uh, in at least in term in 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 tourist number, and that would be helping. Uh, but uh, the finance sector actually is a quite 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 dull right now. So we we do not have much uh, uh, large IPO coming to Hong Kong, and, and and also I think the corporate sector actually is also quite dull. So um, uh, probably we, we we would be more dependent on on the tourist sector right now. And, and the government, it's predicted 3.5% to 5.5% growth for this year. On Friday, they said now they expect um, growth to be at the higher end of that forecast range. Are you as optimistic as the government? Um, I'm not that optimistic, actually. I think uh, uh, this is uh, <coughs> um, um, affected by the, uh, the slowdown in other pillars, pillars uh, in, 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 in Hong Kong economy. Mm. John, what what are your thoughts about um, Hong Kong? Yes, I mean, um, hopefully things will stabilise, but I, I, I don't see anything like a, a boom. Um, in fact, there's you know there's a danger things the growth might uh, start to tail off soon with you know all kinds of global factors like the uh, high interest rates and so on, and um, and and inflation. So um, yes, I, I I think that's. Uh, I think we'd be lucky to see, lucky to see, say, 4%. How much of a difference do you think things like the consumption vouchers, these happy Hong Kong events uh, are making to the economy? Are are they boosting private consumption? Uh, Yes, uh, clearly that's uh, that's a good thing. It helps to cheer people up a bit um, as well. So, um, but yeah, we I I imagine the the July disbursement will be the, the last one. Um, so the, these kind of these kind of one-off uh, stimuluses are, are not are not going to be present later in the year, um, which is why I think you know we could well see things tailing off a bit. So the government's really mm. got to come up with some new ways, then, hasn't it, of looking for economic growth mm. rather mm. than relying on these sweeteners like consumption mm. vouchers and, and so on that we get in the budget every year. They've really got to think more long term. Mm. Yes, well, uh, so far we seem to be adopting the uh, the mainland model of. Uh, you know, build, build, build uh, infrastructure. I mean, everywhere you go now, <laughs> you see some sort of construction activity. Um, all over, and 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 um, of course, we've got these mega projects in the in the pipeline, uh, including the uh, whatever it's called now, the east the, the Lantau um, artificial islands, East Lantau artificial islands. Um, so a lot of spending is going to be going into into infrastructure. Um, but where that leaves the, uh, you know, the man in the street, uh, on consumption and so on, is, is uh, remains to be seen. 
Alex, I want to switch um, attention to back to the mainland again and this crackdown on mainland consultancy firms uh, that, we're, that we're seeing at the moment. We saw um, the raid on Capvision. We've had Bain and Company, uh, another US firm, Mintz, was raided in, in Beijing and local employees detained there. What is behind this? What, what's the concern? Because this has all come a bit out of the blue, hasn't it? We've seen a crackdown on the tech sector, on the education sector. But what is the concern about these consultancy firms? I think uh, this, uh, first of all, uh, this is affecting the perceptions of the U.S.-China relationship because uh, they probably are targeting on uh, the foreign foreigners gathering information. So uh, that means people will still build um, U.S.-China relationship uh, to be bad for quite some time because uh, China actually... Uh, is um, taking actions, even though we do have some high-level uh, executives uh, meeting in Vienna uh, uh, between the two countries. But uh, I think people uh, probably would not have much expectations uh, to have some improvement in, in, the, in the relationship between the two countries. Is this putting off U.S. companies from doing business on the mainland? Um, not every sectors, but I think uh, sectors... Uh, uh, on information gathering. I think that probably would be affected. And even, I think, accounting probably uh, would, 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 would have some impact later on. Even on the accounting sector, what do you mean in terms of uh, firms that analyse the, the financial reports of state-owned companies? Could that be under scrutiny? Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Well, that, that could apply to a lot of brokerage firms as well and investment banks. But uh, they try to open the the the, the 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 finance sectors to 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 overseas. I think they probably would would still try to uh, secure uh, foreign fundings in in SOEs. Probably they 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 that sector would not be affected that much. Mm. John, what, what do you make of this? It's, it's all suddenly sort of come out of the mm. blue, hasn't it? And also, if you look at what these companies are doing, um, it doesn't look like they're um, doing anything illegal in the sense that the yeah. data that they get is, is very publicly available. It's all on the internet. It's on financial companies mm. like Wind. But they're very good at bringing all of that together mm. and then making their conclusions. But it sounds mm. like writing about certain topics now is, is going to be completely off limits. Yes, I mean, the, there's a... There's been an asymmetry for a long time. Remember all the, these uh, these growth areas, whether it's AI uh, and other forms of you know digital activities. Um, I mean, this is this is the future, so it's very sensitive for both sides. I think um, the fact that uh, Google and, and Facebook and so on cannot operate in China is already uh, you know tells you quite a lot about the mm. say the asymmetry of, of the policy. So. You know, to what extent China's sort of trying to have its cake and eat it, if you like, in that in that respect. Um, very selective about what areas foreigners can in, invest in, and only in things that they, they feel they can they can control. So, um, um, you know, we're seeing the tilt. Um, I think President Xi has sort of reiterated reiterated that the the growth emphasis is is on. Um, uh, is on you know still the same old uh, infrastructure uh, investing investing in, in manufacturing and so on. Um, Do you think it'll put off U.S. companies from doing business on the mainland? Are they going to have a rethink? Um, well, those who are already 
in and have uh, substantial businesses with with uh, with moats like Apple, of course, uh, being very prominent. I'm, I'm sure they they will continue to to run their business as best they can, and um, you know for, for for the foreseeable future. But uh, in terms of Ploughing in you know major new investments, I, d- I don't see that happening. And certainly, portfolio, you know, the the very lackluster performance of the the, the stock market uh, here on the mainland just tells you that um, foreign the for- foreign investors don't have a, a great deal of confidence in in putting money into China. Well, Alex, let me ask you about that uh, lacklustre performance that, that John just mentioned. We're, we've seen it certainly here in Hong Kong, haven't we, where stocks in, uh, in so far this year have really underperformed global benchmarks. It also looks like U.S. stocks have run out of steam this quarter as well. They put in a good performance in the first quarter, but pretty well stalled out now in the in the second quarter. Yeah, I think uh, the performance in the uh private company sectors in China actually is a super bad. Uh, we we do have a sell-off in tax, uh, and then that sell-off actually spread to consumption names as well. So I think that this is a um, an exit of uh, foreign investors in everything in private sectors in China right now. And uh, actually, the Hong Kong is supported by probably HSBC and a few SOEs, uh, so that's why we still have um, the Hang Seng Index to hold above for 19,000. Mm. Um, probably uh, we still may, may still be supported by, by the strength of these uh, few counters, but the index actually do not reflect the bearishness in private companies, in private sectors in, in companies in, in China. So the internet and the um, consumption names actually are very bad right now. And I think uh, we look like uh, to have a downside break soon uh, this week. And so does that mean then that investors should be looking at the large state-owned enterprises like the banks, for example? We saw a rebound, didn't we, last week in in some of the big banks. Some of them traded limit up uh, in Shanghai for the first time in in years. Uh, Banks actually... uh, Chinese banks usually have a short-lived strength because um, people do not trust uh, the, 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 the books. Mm. So um, that's why they are so cheap. And, and whenever they, they got some banks, actually, the, the banks actually short-lived. So I think uh, this time probably uh, would be a little bit better. Uh, so, um, but I, I, I doubt uh, whether they could uh, run a uh, very long way uh, because um, uh, the banks actually are not transparent and also highly geared. And that is the, the, the nature of banks in, in everywhere of the world. Chinese bank, the, for Chinese bank, the good thing is that we don't worry, we don't need to worry about um, withdrawal of deposits. But uh, we do have a worry about the uh, transparency of the book and, and also the their practice of a lending. So I think uh, they will still be um, at a discount to global peers. John, would you be um, a buyer of the banks? They are cheap, aren't they, in, in the mainland? Ch- traded about 0.6 sure. times book value. Yes, they're, they're, they're cheaper. They've always, always been cheap for a very long time for, for, for that the kind of reason Alex uh, has mentioned. Yes, that was, um, that was quite a nasty um, technical uh, reversal in, in the... Uh, 
well, the banking sector, but also the, the whole index last last week, uh, you know, bounced on that sort of um, piece, piece of apparent good news, bounced strongly on the Monday, but then it they gave it all back by by Friday, and and a little bit more perhaps. And, and presumably, mm. what, what is behind the bounce? I mean, I've heard several reasons. One mm. is that they are cheap, and people are sort of looking mm. at them again. Also, um, under the sort of like the restructuring, the reforms that are going mm. on under President Xi Jinping in the mainland, he wants banks to take a bigger role in, if you like, promoting new industries, mm. developing the domestic economy. Mm. Is that behind it? Um, I'm not sure exactly, but uh, certainly the the market as a whole is is sort of very. Um, very uh, prone to to having you know to apparent good news having a quick mm. quick rally in in one sector or one company or whatever it's just a sign of um, um i would say well almost desperation of, of uh, traders and investors trying to find a, a way of making money out of this what is frankly a bear market alex then final word to you what 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 do you put this rally down to uh, that we saw in the financials last week what what's behind it uh, first of all, we do have um, the latest report uh, earnings come out uh, that is a little bit supportive. And then we have the um, cut in deposit rates and also um, uh, lending rates uh, simultaneously. So I think uh, people expect uh, the um, margins uh, to, to expand a little bit. So I think that, that is uh, uh, helping uh, the sectors a, li- uh, a little bit. And of course, uh, the, the thing is... Uh, we do have um, a run-up in SOEs in every other sectors, and mm-hmm. banks actually probably is the last one to go. So I think uh, uh, that <clears> is uh, why the technical is helping. Well, thank you both very much. You heard there Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, John Schofield, who is Managing Director at Tempest Investments. <laughs> I'm joined now by Brock Silvers, who is Chief Investments Officer at Kion Capital. Morning, Brock. Good morning. Good to be with you again. Thank you very much. Um, an important day, isn't it? An important week for, for Chinese economic data. We've got uh, all the activity data coming out tomorrow, retail sales, fixed asset investment, um, industrial production. Of course, it's going to be compared with a year ago when we had Shanghai in lockdown, large parts of China also suffering restrictions. So what should we be expecting and how much should we put into this data when we compare it with one year ago? Well, look, I expect the numbers tomorrow to be very positive. As you say, industrial production, retail sales, fixed asset investment, they all should be up very strongly. Now, the government's going to really hike these results. And the local finance sector, which is dependent upon sort of the success of the China story, is going to cheerlead. But last year was catastrophic. The month-to-month data can only look good in comparison as recovery sets in. And I think at this point, the hype has completely overshot the facts. Mm. And we're seeing that in corporate earnings, aren't we? Uh, even in uh, U.S. companies, a lot of them are talking about China um, in the in the first quarter. Um, and either they've uh, they've done better than expected, or in many cases they've been a disappointment. Partly because, as you say, they they overestimated the strength of the recovery. Yeah, that's right. Look, in reality, we're seeing consumer prices that were almost flat last month, um, new borrowing slump. The housing market sales have also turned downward again. April trade data, it showed imports down strongly and export growth sort of uh, slowing as global supply chains refill. Um, 
you know, China's economy is performing okay, but tomorrow we're very likely to be told that it's guns blazing, and mm. it just isn't. Mm. I mean, as you say, when, when you see that almost zero inflation print and imports collapsing, it's not a very good sign about the strength of the domestic economy, is it, going forward from here? It, I would even say deflation is a worry, and we may likely see a small PBOC rate cut in the near future. Really? How, how is it that China um, is escaping the inflation that's really infecting pretty well the rest of the world, maybe with the exception of Japan? But even there, it, it's climbing, isn't it, now? Yeah, look, some of some of it is simply good work. Some of it is a bit of luck in the cycle. You know, China also had lower lows than than most as well. Mm. So, what, what is the what's the consumer like? How how strong is is consumer spending? What sort of state is the consumer in? We were hearing um, earlier on uh, today on the program that the consumer really is, is sort of looking for bargains, not spending a lot of money at the moment when they travel and go out and eat. Well, a couple of months ago, we were being told that to expect a, a consumer explosion that was mm. going to save everyone and lift all boats. And that certainly has not happened. Um, we are we are not seeing that sort of consumer rebound. We are seeing some. But as you say, the consumers in China are, are also being quite prudent and savings are also up. Um in a broader sense, you know, the economy has some real risks on the horizon. The The upcoming dollar bond maturity schedule is absolutely untenable, and nothing has been done so far to resolve that sector. You know, LGFV finances are, generally speaking, a total mess. Um, and let's not forget U.S. Sino relations are probably at a 50-year low. Mm -hmm. So I would think put all that together and it says that investors have to tread lightly and take the coming pronouncements, which are undoubtedly going to be positive, with a huge grain of salt. And also credit growth is slowing as well now, isn't it? We saw that in the April figures, although March uh, was a bumper year for a uh, bumper month for, for, for credit expansion. Um, so what does that mean for the policymakers? Does that mean they've got to really try and turn on the spigots a bit to, to boost the economy? I think they do. Uh, I don't think they want to just yet, but ultimately, I don't think they'll have a lot of options. They're just going to mm. have to do something. Mm. Um, and, you know, the overwhelming priority of the administration is to keep the economy moving forward. And they need that not just for economic reasons, but for political ones as well. Let me turn to another uh, issue on the mainland, this crackdown on consultancy firms like Bain and Company. Uh, Cap Vision, Mince was another one that got raided in Beijing. Why is this going on? What are the right. Chinese authorities concerned about here? Well, look, this is a very unfortunate situation, I think. China needs Western capital, and many Chinese securities, I think, deserve that Western capital. But this administration just has other priorities, um, and they are willing to restrict the flow of basic info for their, you know, in order to meet those larger goals. Now, we see this everywhere now. Still inadequate audit standards were sort of highlighted this last week. Bond pricing, fee disruption, now standard kind of due diligence activities are brought into legal question. All of this is going to have an impact. Um, it clearly, uh, these, these clearly are connected uh connected results of some uh, of some strategy decisions um what what we can see though is that it is having an impact 
Many investors and funds are reducing or even eliminating China allocations. And look, without access to basic corporate and economic data, it's not investing, it's gambling. So it sounds like from what you're saying, regardless of of how these companies get their information, even if they get that information perfectly legally using open source data on the Internet, using financial firms like Wind, um, despite that, there are certain topics that they basically are not going to be allowed to write about and they, they will be crossing the red lines. Is that right? Well, it, it, it's worse than that because you don't know in advance what those, where those landmines are and what those acceptable and unacceptable topics might be. Mm. So you might think that you're doing something acceptable today, only tomorrow to find out that it was not acceptable and now you're in hot water. So- um, and a lot, a lot of companies and investors, allocators, decision makers are just not going to want to play by those rules. So what does it mean then for investment banks? Um, you know, let's suppose, for example, you want to do some due diligence into the financials of some of the big state-owned banks. I mean, that's a big issue, isn't it? And banks have been in focus uh, last week. Uh, does that mean that you could get in trouble for doing that? You, you could. Uh, it's, it's, I think, intentionally unclear in this regard. And what that means is that you can't fully do the same level of due diligence that you were doing before, which even then was probably not as much as you would have preferred. Mm. And and what that means is that a lot of bets will simply not be placed. So is this putting companies off uh, going to China and opening investments, opening businesses in China and investing in China and particularly U.S. companies? Is it putting them um, off? We saw this report about Forrester Research, a U.S. tech-focused research group, says it's going to plan to cut the majority of its China analysts now following this. Yeah, look, I I think it definitely will. You know, normally if you were an allocator or a CEO who had some China plans, those plans in the abstract may have been entirely worthy But if you're thinking about some more remote province, you would generally hire a a firm to help you to understand the local layout and some of the uh, and some of the risks involved. And now you simply can't do that. Mm -hmm. You can't walk into a CapVision, Bain, Mintz and say, I I need some help for this investment project and I, I need to understand the following areas. Mm. They're likely to not be able to do that right now. And if I can't get that information, I can't make a decision that uh, that I'm willing to kind of bet my career on. So is China open for business? Uh, the, the leadership, the Politburo, the, the premier say, look, we want foreign capital. We want foreign firms to come here. We want American firms to come here. Uh, that's what they say publicly. But then you see things like this, which rather goes against that, doesn't it? That, that's right. Look. Just to be clear, there are lots of opportunities in in China and companies in China that I think are worth investment and worth owning. However, I think China is going to soon be forced into a real decision. Does it want or need Western capital or not? Mm. And what we're seeing now is sort of the dance of saying very loudly, yes, we do, but acting like the answer is a no. Mm. So this is yet another sector then that's come under scrutiny. We, we were hoping that this, uh, that this crackdown on various sectors that we've seen on things like the technology sector, on the education, the private education sector, uh, which had a huge impact on those, uh, the companies there. This is going to be another area now. 
it's another significant question mark. And again, I, I just think that there are there's a large subset of investment decision makers who are going to say, I, I can't play that game. Mm-hmm. Mm. So tell me a bit about the markets then. What, what's we, the, the market on the mainland? It seems to have stalled out. It certainly has here in Hong Kong, hasn't it? It's really not been a p- particularly good um, year for for Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong. That, that's right. And, and look, my, I, I think we will eventually see brighter days, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it didn't happen this year. So, um, I just think there are too there are too many gray areas that still need to be sorted out from. The you know some of the some of the larger um, regulatory issues we've been discussing, but but also just some of the economic things. We need to see China on a more solid economic footing. We need to see some resolution to the U.S.-China relationship, and we need some comfort from the Chinese administration that uh, that foreign investment is still is still a welcome participant in the uh, in the process. So you wouldn't invest in uh, in Chinese stocks either here in Hong Kong or on the mainland for for at least the rest of this year. Yeah, I think right now I would be extremely prudent with Chinese equities, um, and it's it, and it's more on the investability issue than it is on the economic uh, cycle issue. Well, Brock, thank you very much. It's very interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, that's Brock Silvers, who is Chief Investment Officer at Kion Capital. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on the other headlines and market moves on my daily blog. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense. And joining me from the USA will be Tony Nash, founder, CEO and chief economist at Complete Intelligence. Have a great day. Money Talk 